welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Rodney Hu, and today I'm joined by two very special guests, Mr. Bayan Takizawa and Sal Maskia. Dang, did I say that right? <laughs> Should ask you beforehand. Thank you. Maskia. All right, and they are the founders and CEOs of Continuous Pharmaceuticals. And Continuous Pharmaceuticals offers a unique end-to-end, fully integrated, continuous manufacturing capability. The company's proprietary ICM technology enables timely, on-demand manufacture of drugs with significant advantages in production lead time, quality, and cost. So I'm excited to have them on, give them an opportunity to share what they're working on in the industry. And with that being said, guys, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Rodney. Thank you very much for uh, giving us this opportunity to talk to you today. We are very excited about the, uh, the progress that we are making here at Continuous Pharmaceutical, how we can change the pharmaceutical manufacturing industry. We'll tell you more as we, as we move on with this podcast. So good afternoon. Yes, uh, thanks for, for the opportunity, uh, opportunity, Rodney. Definitely excited. These are Difficult times, but also times where we think that we could add a tremendous amount of value and and ultimately help American patients. Really excited to tell you more. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So why don't we just jump into, why don't you guys give a brief background of how you even got into healthcare and how you got into the whole pharmaceutical manufacturing space to begin with? Sure, I can start, Rodney. So really my uh, first step into healthcare comes from my family because I come from a, pharmacist, from a family of pharmacists. My grandfather was a pharmacist. My father was a pharmacist. I am a pharmacist and my brother too. <laughs> so it was like a kind of a really a pharmacy tra- family tradition pushed us into this, into this sector. And when I completed my you know, graduation in pharmacy, then I moved into chemical engineering to really learn more how you actually produce pharmaceutical in addition to you know, what's the specific pharmacologic effect of, of, of a specific uh, pharmaceutical. So that really was how I get into healthcare. And then when I moved into chemical engineering and pharmaceutical manufacturing, I got very excited about continuous manufacturing, fully automated process, how you can get medicine to patient much quicker, reduce cost and with better quality, which then turn into continuous pharmaceutical. So that's my uh, short summary to you. Ah, okay. Yeah, and Ronnie, to answer your question, I would say ever since my undergraduate days where I uh, majored in chemical engineering, I've really spent uh, my whole career in healthcare. After graduation, I went to medical school and and then did some training in urology. So I do have uh, some clinical experience. Since then, I've worked at a health, excuse me, a life sciences investment firm in New York, as well as a healthcare consulting firm that mainly focuses on hospital and healthcare providers regarding strategy and operations before joining Continuous Pharmaceuticals, where we focus on continuous manufacturing of small molecule drugs. So in one form or another, I've really been in healthcare my entire career. That's a great industry. People really trying to make the world a better place for the most part. Awesome. That's interesting. And so when you're thinking of the pharmaceutical manufacturing field, and I know you guys have healthcare backgrounds, but what sort of problems or obstacles did you see that were occurring in this industry that people weren't tackling 
which is why you guys wanted to try to figure out a solution to that problem. You want to add the bit? Sure. Uh, so, so definitely, uh, there there have been uh, challenges from our uh, perspective, and I'll offer the our, our experience at Continuous Pharmaceuticals. So it'll be uh, specific to uh, continuous manufacturing or advanced manufacturing for that part. I, I would say uh, the, the the biggest challenge that we've encountered is this inertia from within pharma, in the sense that they're they manufacture drugs for in a specific way for a long period of time. And so there is this resistance to change, especially when you couple that with very high margin uh, product that they sell so that there really isn't, I would say, this incentive to, to maybe reduce cost of goods and optimize manufacturing simply because of the product, again, the margins are so high. In addition to that, there is the the regulators, I would say the big elephants in the room that I would say cause companies to be a little bit reticent or not necessarily want to take on certain risks, for example, implementing uh, new manufacturing systems. And so there, there has been a, to a large degree this reluctance to uh, adopt uh, new manufacturing systems, which has been, I would say, a, a major challenge. And we've held on to a very outdated, I would say we, the pharmaceutical industry, has held on to a very outdated system where there are not only quality challenges or, or problems associated with that. Just as an example, it's not unusual in the production of a drug for there to be multiple players and for intermediates to be shipped from one country to the next, all the while, I would say, increasing the risk for uh, some sort of quality deficiency. But this is the system that really has been the same for many years, and, and there, there really hasn't been that, that much evolution to, to that. Now, I, I would say that the, the agencies such as the FDA have been encouraging companies to adopt uh, more advanced uh, manufacturing as a means to improve access and quality of these drugs. And so we've definitely seen this change, but I would say that this inertia from the major pharmaceutical companies is the the major challenge that we've seen. Ah, okay. That's interesting. It's a pretty high level problem, really. <laughs> and so if you know what you guys are doing, how you guys are going about solving this problem, but I want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about yourself. Sal, you're the CEO. Brian, you're the chief business guy. But Sal, like, what is your role and responsibility in your day-to-day -day operations look like? I would say that the role of a uh, of CEO of a startup first and then a small business enterprise evolve with time. Here we obviously uh, all wear many hats, right? In a small company of like you know 10 to 20 people, you have to make sure that uh, you are in zone with many different activity until you hire the full personal infrastructure that you need to run the business. But the day to day is really focused on making sure that uh, the activity that we have and the goals are really met on a regular basis from what is the, your technical development, a specific financial objective, making sure that all the people have the resources they need. It's really a 360 degree across the various activities, right? the technical, the financial, the strategy. And at the beginning, when there was time to be in the lab and trying to help some of the running of the end-to-end -end system process, there were some that we were doing too. So again, it's really 
an evolving uh, job, the one of the, I would say, of the CEO of a small company enterprise as the business grows. Okay. And then, Brian, I want to throw that same question over to you as far as what is your day-to-day responsibilities and how are you guys really able to separate the responsibilities of what one person does and what the other person does to really still be able to maximize productivity? There definitely is some blurring there in terms of roles and responsibilities and day-to-day activities simply because we are a small company at this point. With that said, We are expecting rapid growth in the year to come, and so there will be more division of activities. In terms of what I do on a day-to-day basis, uh, among uh, other things, uh, taking away the the small jobs here and there that just need to be done in a small business, I really focus on trying to grow our pipeline, understand the market, the how we could implement ICM, our technology platform, and provide value with different types of clients. So it's not only uh, the pharmaceutical and generic companies, but also understanding how we can service or provide value to uh, hospital systems and hospital uh, individual hospitals, maybe some of the uh, compounding organizations or, or compounding companies with our technology, because we do think that there is it is fairly versatile. And so understanding that, and then also trying to craft uh, contracts with them. Uh, so that's one one piece that or one major piece of work that we do. In addition, just education. So this, and this is something that Sal and I both do. Continuous manufacturing is not universal, in fact, in pharmaceutical and, uh, manufa- pharmaceutical manufacturing industry. And so we try as much as possible to teach, PR, or, uh, to teach people what we do or at least provide some of our experience so that they understand what's out there. And that's, that really goes a long way in, in terms of then, for example, with our, la- our, our recent contract with the uh, U.S. government, specifically the Department of Defense, I think that we were selected in, in large part because of the outreach that we do and th- them, uh, the government understanding what our technology provides and then putting uh, everything together nicely. We, we think very t- intelligently in, in a way that now we uh, were tasked to, uh, to develop this very important capability for the U.S. government, which is reshoring manufacturing of critical drugs in the U.S. So I would say that those are uh, some of the major pieces of work or uh, efforts that, that I have on my end. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned an interesting point is an interesting topic such as like education, right? Because you think like people in pharmaceutical industry, they would know what the problems and pain points are and be working on them. But obviously not if you guys see an opportunity here. But from an educational standpoint, what has really worked for you guys or what are you guys trying and testing as far as educating the market and showing them the value and really shining light on the problems that they need to be focusing on? Is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, I, I, I can uh, point to a few, uh, I would say, important case uh, studies. Uh, first of all, it goes hand in hand with a lot of the, the business development efforts that we have. So as we uh, do projects with companies, then the data really speaks for itself. In other words, we show companies that we can provide value, then they become repeat customers. And also we can rely on them maybe for references as we uh, uh, 
continue our outreach, business development outreach. And as part of that, we did do some projects with the uh, US FDA, the US Pharmacopeia, the National Science Foundation. And as we do good work with them, we publish uh, papers that really show the value of our technology. That is, I would say, a, a very good reference for companies that are just coming to know our technology to understand what, what, how it could be beneficial to them that, that we use. This education piece does go hand in hand with business development and also the publication of our results that then provide more substance and, and complements some of the, the stuff that I said earlier, for example, the, the agencies promoting the adoption of uh, advanced manufacturing. I'm sure part of their their rationale for that is the work that, they, that they've done with us, companies like ours, as well as uh, some of the uh, universities that are involved in advanced manufacturing. Hmm. Oh, okay, interesting. So this next one could be for either one of you guys, maybe Sal, you could take this one. But since you guys are so deep rooted in the whole pharmaceutical manufacturing industry, you guys see a holistic view of this vertical and what's good, what's bad and where you guys are going. And so my question is, what sort of trends are you seeing in the pharmaceutical manufacturing space that maybe isn't mainstream yet? I think the most important thing to say here is that the way companies are looking at the pharmaceutical manufacturing, biomanufacturing is changing. There is actually a lot of emphasis that being placed now in using more efficient and agile, more manufacturing processes to produce better quality medicine. This was not like this you know, 10 years ago. And now there has been a huge shift into this because there is really a gap between how pharmaceutical industry develop therapeutics for, to cure many difficult diseases versus then how they bring this medicine to the market to these outdated batch processes. And so really now they're putting a lot of emphasis in using modern, I would say, manufacturing technique like continuous manufacturing that they use in also many other industries. So that's really a major change in the trend in the pharma, in the pharma manufacturing, both small molecules and bio. And now with the current pandemics, what has happened with the COVID-19 really has put under the radar how critical is to have a more resilient supply chain of, of pharmaceutical. Because many of the pharmaceutical products are finally sold in the US. The early starting intermediate and the raw material to make this product actually coming from abroad. No, mostly China, India, which it's really dominating our market in terms of this early stage intermediate raw material. This pose huge risk for our supply chain in case you don't have those raw material available anymore, we cannot make the medication that people need. And so that has really emphasized, again, how fragmented this the current way of making pharmaceutical, the current process, and how important it is to use more seamless integrated uh, advanced manufacturing technique that can produce pharmaceutical in the country. And so that has been a major shift you know, in the past few years, especially now post-COVID. And if, if I may just add uh, one extra point in terms of the, the impact on patients, this supply chain that Sal referred to is very complex, needlessly complex and vulnerable to disruptions. As we unfortunately saw during the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a, a disruption of several, many drugs from India because of that. 
And I'll just give a, an example of the impact of these shortages. There was a survey done several years ago, I believe in the New England Journal, where they surveyed over 200 oncologists who regularly prescribe chemotherapy. And over 80% of them had said within the previous six months, they had to change the way they prescribe chemotherapy uh, because of a shortage. So these shortages uh, really are impacting uh, patient uh, care. And, and, and this is one of, one of the uh, things that we're lo- really looking to address are these small molecule drugs that unfortunately have maybe one or two manufacturers abroad that may not necessarily be emphasizing the quality manufacturing. And so that when they get dinged with a warning letter or they have to shut down production, all of a sudden you have these very critical drugs that are no longer available as they need to be for patients who really need them. Okay. That's interesting. Honestly, like you guys are the first people I really talked to in like the pharmaceutical space. So I never really understood how like whole, how drugs were created in that whole manufacturing process. I didn't really realize there's this whole back end process. Cause usually like the average person only sees like when they go to Walgreens or CVS or something and they pick up, but <laughs> it's interesting. To see, it's interesting to hear like how much extra steps or additional steps are involved. So that's interesting, <laughs> but we're coming up towards the end, but I do have one more question. I guess I, you guys can both answer this. Brian, you can go first, throw it over to Sal. But what sort of advice would you have for professionals who are trying to tackle problems within the pharmaceutical manufacturing space? Yeah, so uh, I think that the uh, that's a very uh, uh, interesting question because that, that's something, obviously, that's uh, front and center to what we what we've done. And maybe I can reflect on some of the, the challenges, but also lessons learned by, by uh, Sal and myself. And I'm sure Sal will have other things to add. But uh, understanding, and maybe this goes beyond the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, reading the market and being able to uh, pivot when necessary. So I, I think that th- there is value and, and sorry, you have to have fortitude in terms of your product and, and what you're looking to sell or, or what your vision is. I don't think that need, uh, that you need to change that constantly. Uh, you have to have that vision and believe in it. But at the same time, take into consideration the market, what your customers are looking for, and be able to pivot to, the, to uh, based on that, the data that's, uh, that's presented to you. I think that's really been the biggest uh, lesson for us because when we first started, we, we had a certain viewpoint on manufacturing, and then you have to understand, well, this is what is currently done and what is possible based on the current environment and really pivot and revise your strategy accordingly. Because in, in the end, it, most negotiations and most partnerships are two-way streets. You can't really dictate all the terms. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes, so my advice to the professional in the manufacturing of pharmaceutical space is that don't fear to change the current status quo, because there is a lot of, I would say, fear in trying to do things differently because of the maybe regulation in place. And this is a very, as we know, regulated industry. And so the the fear to fail is very high, but the inefficiency and the drawback of the current process are under the eyes of everyone. 
And so really my um, main advice to the professional is that, again, don't fear to change the status quo because the, the benefit of shifting the paradigm to a more, again, automated, agile, uh, lean pharmaceutical manufacturing methods, it's obvious. And so we need to all work together collectively to achieve the final goal because this is not just a one, I would say, a one company effort. Yeah. Awesome. I think those are both excellent pieces of advice, not fearing uh, the status quo and also being able to adapt and pivot when needed based off of the information that's provided and the data that you guys collect. So I think that's very powerful, not even just for pharmaceutical, but for for businesses in general. I think that's awesome. But we are coming up towards the end of the interview and been talking a lot of high level relating to your specific industry, your specific vertical of pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical manufacturing but I like to end each interview on a little lighter exercise with something I like to call the rapid fire round. So I'll ask you guys a list of questions and you guys just give me whatever answer you come up with. All right. All right. I'm going to ask it and then we'll have buy an answer first and then throw it to sell. And then before I go to the next one, All right. and instead of book, we'll go with hobby. Like you said. All right. So question number one, <laughs> what is your favorite hobby? <laughs> Yeah, so I love playing sports, playing basketball. And now that I'm a new father, I'm just spending time with uh, my son. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, after Ben said that he loved to spend time with his son, I have to agree on that too, because I also had a little daughter four months ago. And so definitely that's my favorite hobby since uh, the last uh, four months. But I love sport, I love traveling. So it's uh, sad for me that now we are limited to where we can go, but hopefully things will come back to normal. And I also love soccer. I think it's a very sport game that you need to understand when it's time to stay there and defend and wait your moment and when it's time to attack. And I think that's uh, very related to what you do with business. Ah, okay. Brought sports back in and related it to business. I like it. Congratulations to both of you guys, by the way, for being new parents. I'm actually about to be a parent next month. So congratulations in the club. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. Big change. Big excitement. <laughs> forward to it. Question number two, who's the most influential person in your life or career? Yeah, for life, definitely my dad dedicated to the family and something I want to emulate as we continue to grow our family. For career, definitely my chairman of urology at Yale, Robert Weiss, a gentleman and a scholar to the highest degree, but very modest and unassuming and selfless. Yeah, I do, do, do too would like to mention a couple of persons. Uh, obviously, one is uh, my father as well, excellent guidance in uh, my growth and uh, I think really the catalyzer for my thought process where I am right now. And then as well, my PhD supervisor, when I shift from pharmacy to chemical engineering, the guidance that he gave it to me was essential to be where I am right now. Awesome. Awesome. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? So I'll break that down again professionally. I just want to uh, continue to ensure that our company is successful in the, in the work that we do. It's just so important uh, for us to be successful in changing the paradigm. And on a personal note, I, I'd love to take my son and wife to Disneyland, COVID-19 permitting. Yeah. And I have to, I'm going to Kobe Bayan here in all this demand, in all this uh, response, because I still, my mom and my family need to see my daughter. So definitely I want to take my daughter back to Italy so she can meet uh, 
the grandmom and the uncle and everyone else. So that's definitely a major personal goal I have. And professionally, with the company right now, we are really expanding our capability in the new CGMB manufacturing facility. We are about to put together another major round of financing. So that's my, I would say, my dream for the year is to complete this and move the company to the next level. Awesome. Nice little mix of both business and personal. But last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Yeah, so I can't say that I made uh, decisions that I regret, even entering medicine and leaving. Uh, I'm grateful for the the years that I spent in the hospital. Definitely was an honor to to treat patients. One thing I would say is to to the 20-year-old version of myself is maybe not have too much tunnel vision, to take some time every now and then to step outside and try to get the the bigger picture perspective. I think that, that that's one piece of advice I would give. The advice that I would give to my, myself at 20 years old is that, honestly, I would do most of the things I did because I see that life is changing and I don't have really more time now to repeat some of the extracurriculum activity, which I've been involved to. So I stress the importance of the, when you are 20 years old, to really not just dedicate yourself to your you know, growth in terms of education, but also look at the many extracurriculum activities that can give you as much value uh, as you grow. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think that was an excellent piece of advice. I know, like, it's crazy. Once you, you get older, you realize, like, all the fun stuff you did when you're younger, you can't yeah. do it anymore. <laughs> Exactly. New responsibilities and stuff like that. But yeah, Sal, Bayan, I just want to thank you guys for jumping on again and sharing what you guys are doing at Continuous Pharmaceuticals and how you guys are trying to tackle big problems in that industry in this vertical. So before we go, though, where can people connect with you guys personally? Where can they learn more about your company? They can get in touch directly through our website, uh, sending us an email to info at continuouspharma.com. We are... uh, highly accessible here and exciting to talk with people on a regular basis. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all the links to the YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, their website, all in the show notes. But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.